Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. You know, 2020 is going to be marked in the calendar for a number of significant things. We're going to remember this year for a long time, I believe. Globally, obviously, we've been through the whole COVID situation and hopefully by the end of the year, it's over somewhat. And it's required us to instantaneously pivot in terms of economics and and social interaction, all those sorts of things. But we've also seen incredible upheaval as is still going on in the news nationally, politically, uh, geopolitically. We can see tussles of of racism, prejudice, uh, saber rattling, empire building, all this going on globally right now and the politics that surrounds that. Nationally, I don't know whether you remember, but we've had to fight against drought and the horrible pictures we saw of our farmers uh, leading into our new year, then the fires that came that seemed like such a distant memory to so many of us, and now obviously navigating the social isolation and the continued economic situation that will result from that. So it's been a year, a real year. In the Christian world, the church world, for example, it's going to be a year to remember as well. It's the year where we irreversibly changed into uh, embracing digital content, where we said we need to take church online. It was always coming. The tsunami was always on its way. And we either had to learn how to swim and uh, surf with that or stand our ground and be obliterated by it. But one way or the other, we were going to have to navigate this whole idea of the online world. And so this week, we're beginning to interact and engage and more deeply commit to that by facilitating our first step, which is the house church movement that we're doing through Kenmore Church. Because isolation that we've been forced into so far, I wouldn't say it's the cancer of Christian life, but it's definitely the arthritis. It requires us to be stifled. It limits life. It it atrophies our soul just to be stuck in our own space and unable to get the input and the life and the encouragement and the joy that we get from other people. But the whole digital world presents uh, many aspects, upsides and downsides. The upside, obviously, is that uh, digital content delivery, delivery is, is always the, the inevitable solution that we were going to find, uh, and it's helpful to those who can't get to our facility and so on, and it broadens the scope of our ministry. But the downside is that it can feed into uh, a false comfort that, we, that forms through isolation, where we're not stretched, where we're just staying safe in our home on our own, tucked up in our bed, some of us with our pyjamas on, and we just stay there and that in itself as comfortable as it is can serve to atrophy our soul just a little bit you see listening alone virtual church is not the same as digital church Uh, digital is just the way we deliver content but we can't present an avatar to someone else and say this is the real me that you're seeing we need other people's input we need their views in our life and so while we can't gather in large numbers now um, What we have is the unique benefit of being able to, because of the restrictions being eased, gather in small numbers, which is the way the early church started. And so for now, what we're doing with House Church, the content that's available to you weekly and updated weekly on the website, is a short-term replacement for us for the big gatherings. And we may be together in as little as a few weeks, or it could be a few months. We just don't know. But in the meantime, we can take advantage and offer this the unique benefits of gathering half a dozen people or so in our homes, in the private space, because we can do there what we can't do in the large gathering. So let's take advantage of that. And so once COVID restrictions ease, 
this will go from being a replacement for our gatherings to being a supplement to our gatherings. And so some people will want to mix up uh, an online space or a digital space at home on, on the odd Sunday uh, with uh, a more majority of our time spent gathering on Sundays. But this is going to be the way we mix it up as we go on. You see, Christian life, and this is what leaders in my position have to grapple with, is can't be solely measured by the attendance in our church buildings on a Sunday. Um, although it's interesting what attendance does because what we attend uh, shows us what we value. You know, uh, I could invest in my kids going to a soccer game and not miss a game on a Saturday, but I might find myself skipping the odd Sunday. It depends how I perceive what value is being added to myself and what value I'm giving to that. It's, it's a value judgment as to what we turn up for. And so we, we need to put a thermometer on our own soul a little bit there and just say, well, what, what do I value? Is, is this thing, why would I want to not be at this or why would I want to be at that? Uh, it's a measure of that value given and received. But a better measurement for us pastors is engagement rather than attendance. And so attendance on Sunday becomes just that little bit less relevant. It's more about how many of us are engaging with each other in ministry, in mission, uh, and all that comes with the Christian experience. And so we need to relook at how we upgrade engagement for you in your Christian life. And so last week, we looked at the massive new way to live that Acts chapter 2 presented. It was Pentecost, and so obviously we, we looked at that largely through the lens of the Holy Spirit. But on that day, 3,000 people, that's a good Sunday, 3,000 people chose to walk through that open door of salvation. It redefined their way of living. Something happened on that day that fundamentally shifted the fabric of the way they lived, the way they saw life, the way they prioritized life, and where they drew life. And what's significant is they didn't try to retrofit this new life, this new gospel that they'd heard. They didn't try to retrofit that into their life. They didn't create themselves to be a subculture of the Hebrews. They became a counterculture. It was an alternative way of living. It was a new way to live. And so in this moment in our history, in this moment of time, we need to take a close look while we're still in this navigating a different way of doing our Christianity. We need to recognize what was that new way to live and is it going to continue? Can I shift or what needs to be shifted now in preparation for things returning to the old way that we were living? It's the right time for us to rediscover this new way of living. And if you've grown up in a Christian life, you may have just created your lifestyle to be that of a Christian. You've, you've sort of retrofitted it into life in that sense without it necessarily deeply challenging the way to live. Whereas if you've had a, a an obvious Christian salvation experience. You know you were one way and now you're living another way. Because at its depth, Christian life needs to infiltrate to the very fabric of our thinking and our lifestyle, our heart, our motivation, and so on. And as the world now is drifting ever more pervasively one way, we need to reset ourselves and ensure that we're drifting, or maybe not drifting, intentionally moving another way. So let's look again at the radical shift in lifestyle from Acts chapter 2, 42. To 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's an incredible moment. This was all new to these people. Normal was immediately redefined for them. And we need to look at the, at the real fabric of this just for a moment and just contemplate, okay, if, if it was all to restart again, what would restart in our own life? Because most of us are just used to the inertia of our Christianity. But what we can see here in this, this picture of Acts chapter 2 is that the world does life one way, but if we believe, we do life another way. And in a Christendom sort of culture where the social morality of the day reflects the Bible values, it can be hard to tell the difference. But the world is drifting off in another direction more and more. We're driven by moral absolutes and so on. And so we need to reset again what's different about this life that the gospel calls us to. You see, the world will uh, unthinkingly devote themselves to uh, wealth creation. They'll listen to podcasts about how, how to get rich and successful. They'll invest a lot in that. Whereas we are called to devote ourselves, as Acts chapter 2 says, to the apostles' teaching. The world will reward those who remember themselves. We're called to remember Jesus through communion and prayer. The world highlights and reverences success. We reverence God. The world will do what each individual wants. And as Acts chapter 2 says, we're together with everything in common of one accord. The world hoards things, it gathers things to itself, but we're called to share our possessions. The world will prioritise football and putting cardboard people in the stands and putting an audio track of, of the applause. It's incredible the lengths we go to for sport. We're to prioritise gathering together. That's supposed to be our focus. And so over the next few weeks, I want to, in a most optimistic and positive way, reflect on this huge change of lifestyle that we're called to live in. And uh, today, I particularly want to look at the whole idea of how we do life with other people, just in the shadow of this whole house church thing beginning for us. So I want to look at human connection. So in Acts chapter 2, it marks this immediate and radical return to God's original design, as we see in uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And the implications of relationship with Christ, this sudden change fundamentally shifted the view of these people back to human connection. And ignorance of this new way of living can really dissolve the, the Christian DNA that really should be the driver of each of us. You know, we could see easily if we look at the world, church through a worldly DNA and Christian life in that way through the eyes of consumerism and not community. We revert to seeing success, even in a Christian sense, as having a platform or, or a title. We, we use words like uh, step into your destiny. And as right as that may seem, it also, it also smells a lot like a materialistic, individualistic culture. And we can, we can be living from a different set of values, but just trying to overlay our Christianity on top of that. We might see that we want people to provide for us without us committing to them. And you can see how we can start to do church in a worldly way. But the New Testament presents something that's boldly different to that. Look at what Paul says in Philippians uh, 2, uh, 3 to 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, Acts chapter 2 highlights a fundamental and contrasted way to see people. He said, there's two ways we can do this life. 
It's this way or it's that way. And this harkening back immediately to the model of Genesis 1, 2 and 3 is highlighted in this space. The first way, obviously the way these people fell into with their new, new conversion and their commitment to each other, was a, a mindset of completeness. Is that people, the way I view people is that we complete each other. When I consider how we do life in community, I can see that I'm adding value there and they're adding value to me, that I give, um, that the presence of other people in my life bring the fullness of maturity. It's a synergy where one plus one sort of equals three. Other people, by, by being present in my life, complete me. And you can see this in Genesis uh, in the creation story of Adam where Eve comes before him and goes, now there's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's like, now I'm complete. This one's sort of like me, but different. And now I'm complete in life. And this was the model for community as well. And our priority in this complete or completion uh, worldview of people means that my priority is not power. My priority in life is shared experience to advance the kingdom. It's whatever we do, we're doing it for the kingdom and we're doing it together. It's, it's the antithesis of isolation. So against that model of the created order of completeness is the opposite to that. All you gotta do is pull one letter out, L. You go from complete to compete. And it's complete change in the way we see life. To compete with one another is to mean I need to stand out. I need to put someone down for me to rise up. I need to defeat them. I need to rise above people. I need to do better. And this is really what the tree of the judgment of good and evil begins to feed in each of us. And it results in judgment. It results in anger and frustration because we expect so much of, of each other and we expect things of ourselves without just this childlike expectancy of, of good things from each other. And we see this in Genesis 3 in the fury of Cain that follows from the fall of man as he sought to outshine his brother. As soon as relationship was lost and, and this sense of complete, com, completing God, he, he must compete for best standing before God. And in this worldview of competing, the priority becomes self-interest, but albeit in the context of other people. So I'm still living in a form of coexistence, but my priority is me. And uh, it means I must feel important. I must be higher and remembered to be significant. I need to leave a mark and be remembered in that way and so on. And to do that, I must prioritize self-protection, self-enhancement and hoarding to myself. And so in that sort of setting, if, if I look bad in comparison, then I like to hide. I, I feel shame. If I feel like I'm doing good, then I like to put the picture on Facebook of that and spread it all around. But all of this incites this really vicious cycle in, of, in this competition mindset of individualism. It's a worldview of I do it my way. It's all about me. And when I, when all I have to think about is myself, it forms consumerism. It One thing leads to the next because I'm, all I have to do is think about me, then all I can do then is consume for me. Consumerism then forces me to be isolated. It sets me apart. I need to do this and protect it and guard myself from you in some way. And so by doing that, I'm then feeding individualism even more. And this cycle just goes round and round and round. And it's the antithesis, as I've said, of this completing mindset that the kingdom offers. So let's illustrate this. You can do it very easily. Uh, all you've got to do is look at the news uh, or the internet, and you'll see in a second. In our present moment, even this week, we've seen uh, the damage done by things like prejudice and competing for uh, opinions and all this sort of thing. And we've seen that discrimination can fuel anger 
Um, anger fuels retribution and, and power struggles and all these sorts of things that just bring out the, the worst and sometimes the best of humanity, where we see people respond in a more godly way. We see policemen kneeling before a crowd and, and holding out a hand of reconciliation. Profound stuff. But in a more pervasive way, if you look at history, and I love to be a bit of a student of history, um, you can see that our whole uh, world map that you and I take completely for granted and that we don't particularly want challenged has been formed by this same competing worldview and mindset that's driven uh, the nations that we are part of. And you see particularly rise in the history of Europe, for example, 15th through to the 20th century, you saw the context of Europe was a number of uh, nation states fighting for supremacy. We had Spain, Portugal, Italy, France, England, uh, the Netherlands, and all these nations were constantly in battle. At the same time, technology released to them the way of, of discovery. And so we see the Americas discovered, we see the East Indies and, and all the parts of Africa, and, the, and they started to expand. But what fueled that was the need to dominate those cultures around us. To be supreme, they needed more. And so in this discovery that was before them, it presented opportunities for new economy to fuel that new economy that required uh, these nations to dominate the nations that they had discovered. And so we see the Bahamas, the South Americas, then the North Americas. We see Asia, we see India, we see Africa, we see Australia. We see these nations um, taken over by force um, at the cost of those who were already living there because there was presentation of new economy that could fuel the agenda of the smaller nation. That then gets uh, built on the back of the inevitability of slaves and tens of millions of slaves are the ones whose upon their backs is built the life that we take for granted. It's an incredibly sobering reality and it's not one that's easily undone or that many of us really have an appetite to undo. And yet the implications of that history bear with us and we, you know, we must find a way through time, through some way, with God's help, of addressing this in a more profound way. There's so much business that's been left undone, even in our own nation with our Aborigines and so on. The kingdom agenda would seek for us to find a way where cultures and individuals are valued in the appropriate way. So that's Europe's story. That's sort of our story. Uh, we love the benefits of that. We have the economy. We have the, the, the Western way of living that we enjoy. But it's come at a huge price. But at the same time, at, through the 15th to 20th century, there was a nation like China, for example, who had the same technology. Make no mistake, they had boats too. They could go away and find other nations as well, and they did. And yet they made a conscious decision through that period not to invest their time and money and energy in pursuing further agendas because they knew, they, A, they weren't in competition with anyone else, and B, they could just grow and self-support through what they had. And so they made the decision intentionally not to go on this colonising uh, way of life. That policy has obviously changed in the last 40 years and now we're seeing the inevitable uh, growth of that competition rise again as nations battle for priority. So you can see the way that there's personal and national empire building going on through this mindset of the world. I must compete. I must dominate. And it is a way of empires. It's not the way of the kingdom. And so this is our history. This is a story of individual and national and global empire building. 
And, and yet we're called to such a different way of life. Acts chapter 2 just makes that so stark where we convert from empire mentality to kingdom mentality. You look at this new community, this new way of doing life with each other, instantly rose up in this context. Instead of being motivated to, uh, by greed and self-interest individualism, they were motivated by love. And that love uh, drove them to meet together daily in the temple courts, to meet also in the homes, to break bread, to sacrifice, and so on. They also became missional now. And the mission was to bring blessing, not to, not to go somewhere else and dominate. And you'll notice in the 1700s and 1800s, our missionaries followed on the backs of the, the discoverers and the politicians and so on. And even their missions mindset was often seen as an imposition rather than a blessing because we can too easily weave together the mindsets and it just doesn't work long term. But in Acts chapter 2, their mindset was also multiplying. Uh, they wanted to grow in a scalable way and not keep this gospel to themselves. So as we go into a reflection moment now, it's, and I just love this song that we're going to under, uh, go through together. It's just because it, it's an opposite spirit to empire building. It's a spirit of blessing, not taking. And so the driver of our life needs to be a new way of living. It needs to be blessing. It needs to be, I can give because the supply that's in my life from God is unlimited. I don't need to be aware of what I lack. I don't need to prioritize what I don't think I have because he gives me everything I need and I can be motivated by that to bless someone else. So through this song now, why don't we just sit back in our lounge chairs at home and join in with this God-oriented blessing to the people around us.
I think we all love that song. It's just been such a huge uh, icon of God and his people's response to a difficult year that we've had. So if you haven't uh, organised it today, why not plan for next week to get together with some people? Stretch yourself, reach out, join someone else in their home or have them in yours. And you can do this a few different ways. There's lots of different things you can do to mix this up. It doesn't need to become religious in itself. You can you could have the same people come each week and that would certainly build a sense of community and, and you get to know uh, a new dynamic together for a while. Or you could uh, just get your small group to come and meet on a Sunday. You could even use the content that we deliver uh, midweek instead of on a Sunday and, and reform your, your weekly small group around this whole house church idea. Or you could rotate uh, the sorts of people who are coming into your house. You might do week about or something like that and, and form a number of little communities that can meet uh, routinely that way. If you're not part of a group or you're not uh, known to many people in our church yet, and there's obviously going to be quite a number of those, uh, you can contact us at the church and, and uh, we'll try and slot you into another group. who will be very welcoming and, and offer you a cup of coffee and a, and a hand of fellowship as well. So don't feel like you've got to wait, please, until we get back together in a large auditorium to start making connections with our people. I can tell you, we're good people and they'll love you. So uh, we just want to welcome all those two who, to our online congregation who are nowhere near Kenmore. We have people from uh, all over the country and even from abroad. And so bless you. And uh, we can't do much for you as far as um, organising local things here, but you can form House Church over there as well. And uh, there's all sorts of people have been tuning in. Those who are curious about the faith and who want to investigate the gospel. There are some who have been uh, de-churched, if I could be pragmatic about that, who've church just hasn't worked out for them for one reason or another. And they're just taking their first steps back into thinking about God, thinking about God's people. You're incredibly welcome and there's always a place for you with us. 
Some are just struggling to find their spiritual home and are in that journey. And it's good just to see what we're about. And so uh, we welcome you as well. And uh, some of us will be taking on this digital content and forming uh, localised fellowships around the place. And so we'd love to integrate that into what we think is our current Kenmore Church model for church. And this ability to be remote requires us, though, to re-clarify what is a local church? What does it mean if it's not just a gathering in one place on a Sunday? What is it? Well, our passage today really does define that so well, because back then there was no church building. There was only homes. There was temple for those who were in Jerusalem, and they would just gather there and, and stand up and talk. But uh, what is church? What makes up a church? Acts chapter 2 and 42 to 47 that we've been reading, this says they gathered together. They, they devoted themselves to teaching and to the sacraments like communion. They gave sacrificially. In my sort of language, it's three things. They're connected, they're cultivating together, and they're contributing. So a local church means that I'm, com I'm committed to joining my life. I'm known and I know others. I've got their back and they've got mine. I'm connected to them. But I'm also growing together. I'm growing in the context. I'm not a consumer that just uh, watches this content and walks away. I'm letting it cultivate my soul in the context of others from our fellowship as well. And I'm also contributing our time, our talents, our treasure and so on. And I just want to bless all those who've been so faithful in their giving through this time. Our budget is strong. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, really upgrade our ministry as uh, the year progresses. It's just a very exciting time. And I'm very thankful for our fellowship for that. But now that we can meet in small groups, we can do all those things. Connection, cultivation, uh, contribution. That can all happen right now. And no matter what location we're in. And if you want to uh, uh, download them, we've now produced uh, content that's going to be upgraded or, or replaced every week and also put in a library there so you can go back to previous weeks. And on, at the website, kenmore.church forward slash housechurch, um, you'll find extra content now that once this part of the day is over, you can then watch that sh another short video, which is the application more uh, where we land it in your life as a group of people. And so it's very short and there's also a small handout there that you can read online or, or you can download, which has some discussion questions. We've made it incredibly easy for anyone to facilitate discussion and apply uh, what we've talked about today to their life. And so you can do that with your neighbours, you can do that with your seekers, with your family, uh, people who are new to your fellowship. Uh, there's no qualifier as far as Bible college uh, degrees required to do this. It's real people in real homes. So today, feel free to begin looking for that content and downloading it. Today's a good day for the church world. Today's a great day. We can start to meet together again in homes. We're going to be doing it at the, the Hegarty House, and we just look forward to having time face-to-face with, -face with people again. So please be blessed today. May your family be blessed. May your time be blessed uh, with God and with other people. It's time to hold our hands out to each other again. Bless you today. See you soon.